0: Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. This is a STS special, Surviving My Biggest Case. Here's your host, Emmy Award
1: winning journalist, Joel Waldman. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests. In all of true crime, and today an STS special surviving my biggest case. And you know, the mug on the screen because he is ubiquitous. This guy is all over the place, Joseph L. Jackalone. I don't think I ever knew the middle initial till just now. He's a retired NYPD sergeant, Uh, he was a supervisor of the direct uh, detective squad. And uh, he is internationally recognized, just not here in the United States. Uh, That's because he has an extensive background in criminal investigations, and he's held many prestigious positions in the NYPD, the best law enforcement outfit in all the world. Uh, His favorite position was the commanding officer of the Bronx Cold Case Squad. Joe has worked on and supervised hundreds of homicides, violent felonies, suicides, and Missing Person Cases. He is the author of The Criminal Investigative Function, A Guide for New Investigators, the third edition. And he also has an awesome YouTube channel. Joe, where do we find the YouTube channel that you've now started?
0: It's, uh, you know, it's True Crime with the Sarge. Also, just my name, it comes up in the the search box. So it's uh, closing in on 4,000 subs. So there we go.
1: True crime with the Sarge. It is growing fast and furious as it should because uh, I'm a bonehead, but Joe actually knows uh, about all the inner workings of law enforcement. So, Joe, this is surviving my biggest case. I have no idea what you're about to tell us. You worked in the Bronx. My dad's from the Bronx. The boogie down Bronx, uh, New York City can be an interesting place. What is uh, what is the biggest case that you've survived?
0: Yeah, so I spent almost my whole career up in the Bronx, and it was kind of interesting in that respect. started out you know, in the early, early 1990s, 1992 exactly. So it's, I saw the bad old days, I saw the good old days, but I'll go in, uh, we're going to tell you about a Bronx cold case that we had that actually spanned four boroughs and even could have been even further along. But that case is the case of uh, a man by the name of Angel Garrity Cabral. So it was a hyphen in the middle of that. This was uh, the case where a detective from the 3-4 precinct had gave us a case, said, listen, I have this case. There's a lot of meat on it. Maybe you guys can do something. So in the court case squad, we, we actually handled a lot of cases where detectives who didn't have the time to hand over, you know, to do the cases because they got other things going on, shootings, other homicides, they would give us these cases. So, he gave it to uh, the detective that worked for me. His name was Mark Tebbins. Unfortunately, Mark has passed away since he's retired, but hmm. probably they wrote books about Mark Tebbins, including the Wild Cowboys and, and, and a couple other things. So he was he was a phenomenal guy, and he was an unbelievable detective. Anyway, so we, we start to take this case apart. It was a case from a woman up in Manhattan. It was on Academy Place all the way up there in the, in the very high part of, uh, of Manhattan. And, you know, we start looking at it, and as we're reading through the case file, we see that a DNA was sample was taken at the time. Now, remember, this is 19—I think was the case was 1993, if I recall correctly. Remember, this, it's been a long time now. I don't might not have the exact times and dates, but—
1: And this guy's name again is Angel, Angel
0: something— Angel G-U-R-I-D-Y, hyphen okay. Cabral, C-A-B-R-A-L. You can find a couple of articles on him. There's a couple—I think I did another podcast a long time ago on this case. It's uh-huh. a phenomenal case. Uh-huh. And uh, so as, you know, Mark is going through it and he was looking at it, he, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, listen, we, we got it. We might have a potential, you know, DNA on this guy. Now, 1993, DNA was like, you know, we're talking about the invention of the wheel back then. I mean, that's how that's how, uh, you know, in the infancy stages, everything was.
1: Now, now this guy, Angel, just to be clear, he's the suspect you're looking at or he's. Yeah, the victim? he was. He,
0: no, he he is the suspect. So, okay. so and what's
1: he accused of?
0: He well, and when all when it's all over, we had him for seven <laughs> sexual assaults and wow. four murders. So oh, wow. he, okay. he 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 fits the definition of a serial killer. Wow. And there's there was a couple of cases. see New York City just to, just on side note, a lot of people think New York City because of television right? there are lots of serial killers everywhere. and you know New York City is acts of random violence, right? You step on my shoe on the subway or you look at me wrong, I stand you to death. I mean that's that's basically what New York City <laughs> welcome know, to mur- New York. Yes. yeah, murders about. <laughs> so it's rare that you get into a case like this uh, and all of a sudden you're realizing because right, you know law enforcement never uses the word serial, right? We like to use the word pattern. I have a pattern. In New York City Police Department, the definition of a pattern was two or more or more like similarities. Well, we didn't know exactly what we were dealing with at that point. We just figured we had one case and we have DNA on it. So let's let's track it down. So what happened was this guy, Angel, had gotten they, the cops back then had taken a DNA sample from through consent. And he disappeared shortly thereafter, which is usually a red flag about, uh, you know, maybe the guilt or innocence of somebody. Right. As soon as that happens. Well, anyway, we start, we get, we call over to the medical examiner's office in New York City because that's where all the DNA is held. And lo and behold, uh, it gives us another case and say, well, this DNA profile comes up with another sexual assault case. So we're like, okay, wow. Right. So now we're onto something here. New York City Police Department, like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of logs and books and stuff from back in the day. So we had this thing called the murder book. And every homicide that's ever happened in New York City is written in a logbook, right? Hmm. They didn't invent databases. By the way, that's a it.
1: great title for a podcast, a Murder Book." But go on, Joe Jacqueline.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we start looking for similar M.O.s. So what happened was on this case, it was a blitz-style attack. The who, you know, the, the couple was sitting on a uh, on a couch, and whoever it was at this time, because we didn't know who the who the, the killer was at this time, had just stabbed the victim with a pair of scissors while they were sitting, maybe watching TV or what have you. So it was like this blitz style attack. We start looking for similar cases and we start to find a couple. We find one in Queens. We find another in the Bronx. We had the one in Manhattan. Then we find another one in the Bronx. So now we have looking at four homicides that are very similar in modus operandi, right? Mm M.O. Where Mm -hmm. these blitz style attacks are happening in the living room. Uh, Couple of them though, where the victim was posed, where they were, you know, stripped either stripped naked or they were naked at the time, what have you, and then left in compromising positions. And kind of like forcing like so when you would walk in the room, this is what you'd be faced with. So it kind of gave you a little bit of an insight on the killer that you were dealing with, right? So as from a law enforcement perspective. You know, you open up the door to the bedroom or the living room, wherever it was, you open up a door and then it's and the body is displayed right there, forcing you to look exactly where, how the killer wanted you to look at. It. So uh, for those of you that don't know what a staged crime scene, that's basically what it is. It's something that the suspect will do that he doesn't have to do. And it's just something in, for his benefit. and Nobody else's. Anyway, I'm I got to stop off-
1: you for one sec. I'm sure. curious about this. So. New York is obviously a wild place where I live most of my life. And uh, ton, as Joe said, you step on, I, I just was hanging out with a buddy of mine who was uh, the youngest captain in the NYPD, Tommy Russo, great guy. Uh, he worked uh, the transit. Uh, he he worked NYPD transit for a while was telling me how he got stabbed in the leg. Uh, but most of these crimes are just um, exactly that. They just, they're not, you know, it's not, the picture that some would have of New York, with full of serial killers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So your detectives are all working on this. You're in the cold case uh division. Your superiors come to you say, "Look into this." What kind of what is like? What are your first steps? Because I think a lot of people think you know, police work is just always knocking on doors, always out in the streets. But are you taking all like these? Case files? Are you reviewing everything? You said you're looking for similar cases. You're looking through old records. How much of it is like desk work versus getting out there
0: uh, in the streets? Well, when you're doing cold cases, it's probably about 75% digging through files, newspaper articles. So... One of the golden rules, and actually, um, I have a new book out called The Cold Case Handbook, and I, and I write about this. One of the first rules that you do from a cold case perspective is you see if there are what we refer to as companion cases. See if there's any other cases that are possibly linked to yours, because each one of those cases, if you find them, could have the clue to help you solve the one you have. Right. So it's very difficult sometimes when you're looking at cases 20 or 30 years old to try in a, in a pattern case to try to identify which came first. Because the first case is the one you always want to find, because that's where the person made, the perpetrator made the most probably amount of mistakes. And that's the one you have. Sometimes you can never find it. And then sometimes you can do it just by based on the dates of when your victims have it, right? You can then start to look at that. But then you always, you're always asking yourself, was there one before this? Or was there two before this? And those are the kind of things that kind of, you know, when you're investigating these things, keep you up at night because you're always, your mind's always running because when you're onto something, this is like, I, I try to explain to somebody, like, what well, the best way to describe it is if you've ever been fishing and you get that, that your pole goes like this, that yeah. little nibble and <laughs> that feel of like, you know, like the excitement, that rush that say, Oh, I, I'm onto something here. And that's the kind of way it feels when you're doing these cases and, you know, supervising these cases is sometimes just as difficult because you're always, you're the guy or girl in certain cases that, have to fight the people above, right? Cause the people above are the ones they want the results now. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the tech you have to get them a the chance to do their work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, and I'm sure most people can relate on that in regards to, you know, doing their own work. I said, if you just leave me alone, I could get this done. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've all been there at one point, but it's always you know a, boss. As well as,
1: a pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah
0: you, you know, as well as I do, Joel, that never works out that way. Right. So but running interference and letting the detectives do their job is one of the most important aspects. So getting back to this companion cases, that's exactly what we went into. We went into, we knew there was one case that we had that had a DNA profile. We didn't know who this person was yet. We had other cases that were similar in MOs, right? These stabbing blitz style attacks that happened within the home. And, you know, we didn't think that this could be the same person, right? Because it's all over the place. We have a Manhattan case. We have two in the Bronx and we have one in Queens. Now, Beyond just foreshadow a little bit. I just named we have you know three different counties now involved in this. So we have the Manhattan County, which most people just think it's uh, you know it, it's this Manhattan County is not just New York County for those that don't know. So you have New York County, which is Manhattan. We have the Bronx, which is Dub Bronx, right? It's they don't they don't say the it's D A Bronx, D A Dub Bronx, Dub Bronx. Bronx, and we have Queens. So we have three different boroughs now, or three different counties, and you know, as cops, you don't think about this stuff becoming an issue until it becomes an issue. And we'll get down to that later on. And so we just keep on looking at these cases. So we find these uh, other companion cases and we, you know, there could be an assault that happened here other than the actual murder, right? So a sexual assault. So we, we we pull up these cases. And one thing that the medical examiner in New York City does is they do a really thorough job on these cases way back when. And, and for instance, they do a full exemplar search. So they they take hair clipping, they take nail clippings, they take hair follicles from the head, from the pubic area, all those different things. And there could have been a sexual assault, so they do those tests too. And lo and behold, there were DNA profiles on those cases. But remember, this is going back in the 1990s. We didn't really know ex- exactly what, but now in two thousand, I think it was seven, two thousand and eight, was we're putting this together. Things have changed dramatically, and so the detectives to say, "Listen, can we run these DNA and see what we come up with?" All of a sudden, we start getting hits that all these cases are connected. Uh, semen was found on the victims in the victims, and they start putting it together to the same profile. Mm-hmm. Now, uh,
1: real quick, though. So this is reminding me a little bit, because I know you went down to check out the uh, hiking trail Rachel Moore was on. Is it similar in that there was a DNA hit, but there's no ID on the on the DNA? Is that right?
0: Correct. Yeah, there was, you know, in order to get into. So basically, there's two. There's, there's several databases within CODIS, which is the combined DNA index system. Mm-hmm. However, there's, the two main ones are just for lack of better names. We have a known and an unknown. Which we call the the forensic database, which is where we hold the forens, you know, the crime scene uh, DNA profiles that aren't hits, and then we have the offender database, which is the people we know. Now, uh, you know, you could take DNA now uh, upon arrest and put it into the system. You don't have to wait for the conviction. New York still uses that conviction part, and you know because New York does everything that seems to be kind of criminal friendly. But just because of the massive amount of people, too, that New York has sitting New York City, I can probably understand why they do it. But the issue that comes down to is that these databases become an important aspect for investigators specifically in cold cases to try to put some of these things together. And as we're doing uh, some of these, uh, you know, as we're building our cases and we're realizing now that this guy could be responsible for at least four homicides and when now you're saying to yourself geez now it also comes down to this so from the supervisor standpoint the detective comes up to you and says hey listen sarge this is what we got we got the ma just called we got these four hits we have a serial killer on our hands now Mm -hmm. do i want to call downtown and tell them what's going on absolutely not right i don't want to because i know what's going to happen anyway so i just I, i do what i you know Kick it up to my lieutenant because we had a lieutenant that was in charge of the entire cold case squad, all five boroughs. Wait Hang on. If you,
1: if you if if you you take it downtown, do they take it away from you because now it's a huge case? Is that, is that what's going to happen?
0: No, I, I wouldn't be worried about that. I'm worried about what's the pressure that's going to happen afterwards. Because <laughs> okay. remember, we're dealing with cold cases. We're not dealing with an active case right now where this guy right. is going around leaving bodies everywhere where n- then it becomes like this huge media poop storm. This right. becomes now whoever's in charge going this is going to look great for me once we close this right now i'm going to have to go give uh briefings i'm going to have to go downtown i'm going to have to tell them what's going on right Mm. all the stuff that you don't want to do as Mm -hmm. you know from the investigator standpoint because you're going to have now all all the stuff shirts are going to be interested and then you know putting their fingers into this thing and you don't want it because now everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a, everyone has a theory. Everyone has a, a, an investigative step that they want you to do now because you know, now they want to be, they want to put their, their print on this. And that's what you worry about.
1: Everyone yeah. wants Joe's credit here. All right. Yeah, so, well, uh, so,
0: yeah, I mean, this and but my thing is also to protect the detectives who are actually doing the brunt of this work because they are the guys that are that are ones that are really you know putting this whole thing together.
1: By the way, how many guys are or guys and gals? How many people are working on this? Uh,
0: there was obviously? only four of us three detectives and myself. Okay. okay. There was a, that's the that was the entire Bronx cold case squad that was left. Wow. Three detectives, and we had, um, I think it was. 8,000 open cases that dated back into the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> and so then people would want to say, well, how come you weren't closing more? Right. I mean, it was just after a while, it just gets kind of. Um, oh, my nutty. God,
1: that's insane. And, and what so what's the time span of these crimes? When do they begin and when do they end?
0: Uh, if I remember correctly, it started in 94 uh, and then there was one in 96. And then things didn't happen until about 98, and 99 again. Things just like didn't happen. And and these
1: are all women
0: that are being attacked. All all women, right? Okay. So we have the DNA on these four cases that were tied to one suspect. However, we don't have the nexus for these women. Like, what's the connection here? Mm Are the you know? Remember, there's no dating sites back then. There's none of that stuff. So we, you know, if that would have, if this case would have happened today, I think detectives would say maybe he's meeting these women online, is a dating site, right? And then cell phone records, internet records, all that stuff that they're using today. We didn't have it back then. Mm-hmm. And it's you're doing you know just old fashioned gumshoe work, mm-hmm. so your next step so after you you're building all these cases, the next step now is you have to go out and start knocking on doors you have to start calling up the victims' families right we know who they are, and we start putting the pieces together so we go out on all these canvases, we go to the families and there was one uh one husband that was uh very helpful in the case who actually kind of let us to it and he is like everything else once as the you know the, the very best detectives out there know what kind of questions to ask and when they want to ask them. everything is like the timing is always has to be just the right thing and unlike television where they do this tag team thing where you know one dete- that doesn't happen in the real world you had the lead detective ask the questions when he or she is done it, they're like out of out of bullets so to speak They'll t- turn to somebody else and say, hey, you got anything else? Did I miss anything? And the other detective, or in certain cases, myself, is, are taking the notes. We're jotting it down because, like I said, there was only four of us. So here's the irony, though, too, right? So we're sitting now in this gentleman's uh, apartment where the murder happened. Right? We're sitting on the couch, and we're talking, and we're doing this whole thing. And then it's like, as I'm sitting there, we're, we're doing this, you know, It's like it just dawns on me, right? I go, this is where the murder happened, right on the couch, in between the coffee table and the couch. So basically, we're sitting exactly where the victim's body was, right there. And this unfortunate victim, you know, bled through the, the, the wood floors. And in certain cases, and it happens in some of these things. It not only goes through the wood floors, it goes into the apartment below. Right? It goes through the sheetrock that's there and stuff like that. And we do our conversation. We do our, we take all our notes. And, you know, he gives us some ideas about what's going on. And we leave. And I, I said to Mark, I said, you know, what? not for nothing. Let's go back and look at those crime scene photos again. Not only was this, it was the same couch, it was the same, you know, the same coffee table. Everything was the exact same as it was like 15 years later when the, when the homicide happened. But it, you know, those are the kind of things. Like, it's a little unnerving, you know, when you sit there going, <laughs> "Oh boy, I hope they, they, I hope they took care of, uh, you know, cleaned uh, this place." Probably the same exact couch, uh, you know. So
1: yeah, it, it was Scary. a brown
0: leather couch. I'll never forget it. You now,
1: now so? were the were the were the vi- female victims? Were they like were they all similar in age or yeah? Race, they were all type?
0: they were all similar in age between like twenty two to twenty four years of age. You know, petite Hispanic women. Uh, attractive, you know. So these are the kind of things that you look at and say to yourself, all right, what do we got here? You know, we got a guy maybe picking girls off the street. But once we start talking to the families, uh, they're all married, they all Mm. have children. Two of the cases, the baby, they had babies in the house when the murders happened. And they were in cribs in the next room. The the kids were left unharmed. One of the victims, yeah, when they found out because the baby was crying and crying and crying that neighbors started knocking on the door complaining. Wow. And you know, and,
1: and is the suspect breaking in? Do we know how he's getting into these? No,
0: no forced entry, no, nothing. Wow. Okay. So we either, so that that could lead you as the investigator to say victim and suspect, know one another. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you look at things like, you know, because remember we're investigating this thing some, uh, you know, 10, 15 years later. So we're not, we don't have the ability to, to look back and say, well, you know, but the, you know, the the thoroughness of detectives in these original cases, You know, they they talked about the windows, the fire escape locked, the front door was locked, no damage to the door. You know, and then good crime scene photographers take pictures of all that stuff, too. Mm -hmm. So we refer to this as the crime scene walkthrough, where we don't have the ability to go to the crime scene and see the body. And it's in what we call a Latin phrase in situ, in place. Mm -hmm. We have to put the scene together through the crime scene photos. And we would lay all these crime scene photos out on this table. In the office and we'd look at him and, and each one of us would look at him and then make our own interpretation of what we would see in the pictures and that's basically how we would go about doing it so based on the information that the first uh, that the husband gave us we find out that the other women were also married so now we're saying you know it couldn't be that much of a coincidence that these women were you know all having affairs with the same guy right I mean that's that, to me that's Kind of crazy. One person, you, you're thinking, right? Okay, maybe she hadn't, she was having an affair with somebody. That's why there's no, you know, broke, you know, nothing, no forced entry. But four, I mean, that, that sounds like it's, there is, like, we're so, like Mark was saying, you know, and I agreed with him at the time. He's like, there is something here that we're missing because there's no way that this could be, you know, four women having an affair with the same guy because we have DNA hits for all these things. I mean, it's not, there's no way. I mean, I don't care if he's Don Juan. You know, this is, this isn't happening.
1: Yeah. This guy's like a repairman or delivering water or something. I don't know. There's something
0: going on here. Right. So we figured, you know, there's there is some sort of connection here, right? Mm. There's some sort. Of, but the, the other problem is the distances between where these things happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, funny.
0: we're going from Upper Manhattan. We're going into the Bronx. We're going into Queens. And the Queens, if I remember correctly, was the 105 precinct, which is the precinct that's closest to Nassau County. So mm. that's the furthest east part of New York City. So we're talking about extremes. We're talking about up in the North Bronx, near Westchester. We're talking in the uh, North Manhattan, all the way up near Yonkers. And now we're talking all the way on the extreme of, of uh, Queens. So it's this huge triangle. So what we did was – oh, I got that center stage or something. must be on. So I try to keep my hands from talking. <laughs> That's a New York thing. This oh guy's delivering God.
1: baby formula, doing something. I don't know. This guy's Good. doing
0: something. So – as, so then we, we talked to all the other uh, family members, and it's like everything else. From, you know, when you're investigating things and people might have been involved in other things, so maybe you think there's a drug connection, right? Maybe these women were drug mules and this was the drug dealer, right? And this is where they let them in. Mm. And, you know, so this is now, now you start to think nefarious things because that's what investigators do, right? Detectives, you, listen, we know most people are murdered by someone they know. We know that love, money, and drugs is probably the three major, major motives for doing stuff. So you, so we kind of eliminated the love thing. But even though we eliminated it, it's always in the back of your head, right? You always say you, you got to keep it out there. And then money is is one issue. And then drugs. So as we're, um, you know, looking at those avenues, we we, we, we kind of all figured that money seems to probably be the, the the motive behind these things. And I don't remember exactly how we came to that conclusion. But Money is always is is the thing that you look at, right? If it's, if it's not love, it, you know, it, it's money. And if it's drugs, it's usually around money too. So everything kind of leads to money, well, anyway. Yeah. So we go and we interview the other family members and husbands. Uh, it was difficult to try to track some of these down because some of the couples weren't like, together anymore, and now we have to find out, you know, where they were. So we, you know. And then this, the, the infighting where they, they, they don't like the ex-husband anymore. They want to kill him and everything. I mean, it's it just, you know, all this kind of stuff that you go through. Anyway, so we find all the husbands. We find all, the, you know, the sisters and brothers and everybody else. And we start to build a pattern within the pattern. And that pattern was back in the day, these women were involved in a numbers game, a lottery system that was happening within the Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. So now we're saying, oh, okay. Maybe this has to do with a robbery where these women are in charge of this lottery or doing working with the lottery. And then, you know, right before something happens now, all of a sudden the place gets robbed and and these women get killed. That's that's the theory we started coming up with. We were pretty close. So what was happening was these women at certain points, it it was run like almost like a pyramid scheme. And, you know, you know, you don't know how pyramid scheme is. You know, everyone gets everybody else. They put all the money in and they get to the top and then the top person in the top gets paid out. Always. So then what happens is now some of the, the, the people who are involved in this now, you know, we, we told them, listen, we're not interested in the lottery thing. Right. We don't really care about what was going on with the lottery. We're not here for that. We don't we're here because we got homicides that we want to deal with, because that's the thing that people. So. You know, we talked to the district attorneys, whatever, and the district attorney's like, yeah, this ta- we, we'll we'll give them, like, queen for a day. We'll do all this, you know, the the, the proffer. We, we called it queen for a day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, as some people call it king for a day, whatever. It doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. just tell us what was going on. So what ended up that they actually kept pretty good records. And the records were, like, every time there was going to be a payout, the, the murder happened. And the, the person who was supposed to be responsible for handing out the money was one of these victims. And now we figured that it's got to be somebody within the pyramid scheme that knows mm-hmm. when the payout's coming, right? So this kind of inside job, so to speak. Wow. So as we're doing this, you know, of course you always ask the question, is, do you, you, do you ever suspect somebody from doing this? And one of the husbands tells uh, Mark, well, there is one guy, his, and even his wife, um, his mother-in-law, not his wife, his mother-in-law was stabbed to death. Wow. So we're like,
1: it was death. this guy.
0: Right. <laughs> so what's his name? So they give us a name. Then we pull out that case. That mm. case is still unsolved. Mm. So here's this woman. Uh, and at the time, the detectives, when they did the story, they said it was because of money. They said that what happened was she ran a hair salon and her air conditioner had broke down, and she had saved up five thousand dollars for a new air conditioner system. Now people say, "All right, five thousand dollars today is not a lot of money." We're talking like 1994, 1995. ninety yeah. five. Five thousand dollars was still a lot of money. I know now it costs you like you know sixty dollars for a loaf of bread in Manhattan, <laughs> and when congestion pricing hit, it's going to be eighty dollars a loaf of bread. But <laughs> anyway, now we say to ourselves, "Mother in law, stay up to death." Out of all the cases that we we put together, the mother in law wasn't sexually assaulted, which was another clue. Right. So, this was another clue that that one was personal, kind of thing. That was about Uh the money. The other ones were about sexual assault in the money. Uh As I said, the women were young and attractive. Yeah. So, we're saying to ourselves, you know, could this be our guy? So, this is when now we take the original case and we look at it and we find another sexual assault case in the Bronx that happened years earlier where this taxi cab driver had picked up this young girl on the side of the road and sexually assaulted her. And as they, as he was in the act of doing this, a radio car drives by and arrests him Mm. and gives us, and this is where the the name comes in. So we get the name angel Garrity. Wow. So now we're saying ourselves, could this guy be our guy His now Angel Garrity is the guy's mother-in-law that was murdered. That's the only. So now we're saying, OK, we have a name probably for the mother-in-law. We have DNA. We still don't know whose DNA this is. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, we go, we find the victim and we show the photo of the guy that we think. And she says, yeah, that's the guy. Well, wow. she and then she tells Mark that the, I, I heard there were other cases. So what happened was this: this young lady didn't show up for court, and he walked on the on the on the, the, the sexual assault. I won't say the other word because YouTube, when they hear when the algorithm yes, hears yes, that word, yes, they yes, get yes. crazy. Please, so
1: please don't. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah I, I found that out the hard way on my on my show. <laughs> so, <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: anyway, I digress. So as uh, as we're going through this, I mean, and this is now. This is. I know I'm only talking for like twenty minutes. But this case is now we're on this we're into like two years into this case now, yeah. putting all this stuff together. When did you pick up the cold case again? We, it was in two thousand and seven. Two thousand and
1: seven, you pick it yeah. up, but these crimes started happening in ninety four, ish you said. Ninety three, yeah, ninety three and ninety
0: four. Okay, and it was ninety five, and then there was a, there was a break. Okay. So we go now to look to see if any of this, if there's any other sexual assaults that happened with this guy, and we find. Three other potential cases that was a cab driver picked somebody up in and around this area. The event happened, dropped off at another location. We find all of those women. We interview them. We do a photo array, and they pick out the same guy. But remember, we're dealing with statute limitations now on those cases. Wow. Because, yeah, we're dealing with that. St- but that all that means is that we no can't— No statute on, uh, on murder, though, right? No. Statute okay. of limitations, no such thing yet for statute of limitations, but limitations. But, but the other crime, yes. And you go by when the crime happened, not not when the law changes. Like, so they, New York State has changed the law several times. <laughs> but you were dealing with cases, if they happened in 93, that's the year, you know, it was I think it was seven years or whatever it was. It was a sh- much shorter period of time than it is now. Mm-hmm. But the district attorney told us that, hey, listen, we we you can't prosecute him for those but we could bring those women in and you know basically say that's the guy right i mean we can we can put him put him in front of a jury and, and it's still powerful enough in a courtroom to say that's the guy that did this to me so they go uh, to the detectives I, I wasn't allowed to travel so the detectives go to travel he's in the they they find him he's in the Dominican republic
1: how come you're not allowed to travel you're because you're this. because they don't want to
0: pay me to yeah they don't want to pay me to, to, to go there <laughs> I get paid Gee, more than everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind going there. But actually, uh, Mark Mark was this huge guy, right? Mark was like six foot five. And Tony, who was this, working with him, he's like six three. These guys were giant. Me and Steve, short guy, a little, <laughs> little small guy. It was funny because we would go into places and say, hey, "Listen, you either talk to us or you talk Are to you them." Done. And they they look behind <laughs> and this, Mark would take up the whole doorway, you know, to be like, "I will right, we'll talk to you guys." <laughs> Anyway, so they go down to the Dominican Republic and they do detective work. So they, mm-hmm. they go down to the Dominican police and they had this whole setup with about recording the devices and, you know, all this other stuff. Anyway, they, um, they showed pictures and say, do you know who this woman is? And, you know, some of the, 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 the victims. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, he's like, no, I never met her before in my whole life. And what about this woman? Do you know her? Never seen her before. And they get all four of the victims. Never saw him before in my entire life. We have his DNA. I mean, we know this is going to be pretty much this is going to be him. But he has no recollection of of who this of this who this guy is. So they come back from the Dominican Republic. And we tell the district attorney what has happened. District attorney says, "All right, listen, we're still going to need a lot more." We go through all these other cases. The D, there was a DNA case. If I remember correctly, it was a DNA um, taken from the victim who said, um, you know, this is the guy that did this to me, but it was never tested. So we put that in, we we asked for the test, and it comes back now to this, the same unknown individual. So we're starting to now saying, not only do we have homicides, but we have this other crime now that is included into this. And now we're finding out all the other cases, all those DNA hits that weren't tested back then, that got tested now. All of a sudden, all all low, all roads lead to Rome. Mm. So now we have to get a sample from this guy. So the district attorney, because remember now he's in another country, right? He's in he's in the DR. Mm. He's in another country. Even though the DR is is friendlier with the United States than it was in the past, it's not as friendly as you know other places like Canada, right? It, yeah. It, yeah, back in the day, going to the DR, if you were a bad guy, it was like it was a, it was like an instant thing. This is like the equivalent of going to a place where we may send you back, we might not send you back. That's basically right. what, what you're dealing with, right? It depends on, I guess, how much money you getting the local politicians are getting greased no about yeah. how much they're gonna send. You know, this, this isn't like let me get on a boat to Cuba, right? Right. This is, this is like at the time it was a little iffy still for for anybody to go there. He thought he was pretty safe. Well, the district attorney says, you know, listen, we're going to we're going to drop the arrest warrant on him anyway. I think we have enough on here. We'll get his DNA when we get him here. We'll we'll get a judge to give us a get us a sample and we'll we'll do all this stuff. Uh, uh, Governor Cuomo was at the time. What happens? You need what's called a governor's warrant. And
2: -hmm. the governor's
0: warrant has to come from the state governor, has to go through the New York's United States uh, embassy down in, you know, in in in. um, the Dominican Republic you know, and it's got to yeah. go through Washington first. I mean, let, let, let me, let's, let's this way. I'm making a process sound easy, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that went on for like another year to go to Jeez. get all that stuff. Wow. Yeah. And then that year, you don't know what's going to happen, right? This guy could just get spooked and then, you know, flee somewhere else or yeah. do something. And then, and then the, then the race will be on, right? Where is he? Kind of
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, Tony, uh, he spoke Spanish, so we weren't worried about that when these guys went down because Mark didn't speak Spanish. I didn't speak Spanish, you know. So they're not gonna send, you know, that's another reason not to send me, you know, if I guess <laughs> if I yeah. yeah. got gotta know the language. Yes. And um it's funny because Mark like I said, Mark was just big guy and one of the things he, he, he Mark would sweat just like, you know, if it was 40 below zero, he would sweat. <laughs> so when they called me from the airport, I say, Hey Mark, I can I can hear you sweating from here. <laughs> He's like, Oh my god, this is so hot down. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so and you anyway, guys
1: have, do you eventually get this governor's yeah. warrant
0: or whatever okay yeah so they they get the governor's warrant they bring him to they bring him back to the United States they get his DNA sample and it, there's a hit on all these cases
1: who makes the arrest is this marshalls or do you you guys go
0: down there and made the arrest no no we have the, the detectives go down there and make the arrest okay. with the local authorities okay you know and there are the feds are there too you know it's a it's a joint effort in that respect okay Be, because, like everything else, um, you know, some of the police departments in other countries are a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll use that word. Sketchy. That's a good
1: word. That's a good word. Does does this guy speak English? He speaks English, right?
0: Very little. Yeah, he spoke very okay. little English. Okay. And um, anyway, this case had dragged on for so long that by the time it was in trial, we were all retired from the police department. <laughs> all of us, Mark, Tony, myself. I think Steve was still holding on for a little bit, right? but anyway, we went back. We were we were retired, but we went back to court wow. because at, because this was a um, this was a marathon, right? And they think I think the whole thing went on maybe almost four years. So this was a brutal, long, drawn out battle. This was like a this was I, I, I used to refer to it as the battle of wills, you know. And we're we're gonna win this because we got nothing but time. You know, but we thought it would be wrapped up before we were retiring, but that didn't happen. But we 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 wanted to make sure. So we ended up going to court Uh uh, and there were some deals made on the table, you know, from the the, believe it or not, the the Dominican Republic, the government can can kind of dictate certain things like, you know, when you're taking their citizens out, they can say, well, listen you could charge him with this, but we can't charge him with that. And all because it looks bad. You know, it's, it's just anyway.
1: Right. But this guy, so this guy is a serial killer and a serial sexual assaulter, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. He's a a double whammy. And I, and I try to get other people, people said, Oh, you should write this book. You know, you should write, write it as a book, you know, like I said, but Mark passed away. He was the guy with the, he was the guy that really did the lion's share of this work. And I just said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not taking credit for, for, for stuff I didn't do. Yeah. And the, the issue that comes down to is it was a phenomenal case. It was about detective work. It was about, um, uh, like never giving up, right? That's the model that we always say, you don't give up. Even, let me tell you, Joel, there were so many obstacles put in place. I mean, first of all, dealing with the people's Republic of the Bronx was, was it <laughs> was a whole issue. But remember I had, I had, I had foreshadowed at the beginning of the story, Manhattan didn't want to take all the cases because the cases happened in the Bronx and Queens. Same thing happens with you know the Bronx. They don't want to step on Queens' toes, and we can't get one of the district attorneys to take all these cases. They don't want them. They want to just do theirs, and, and like you want to do three separate trials. I'm like, oh, oh wait, what are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. So at one point, the Bronx didn't even want to do anything with it. Wow.
1: Wow. So 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 what ultimately happens? You go to court. Is and is there a I mean, is there a murder trial at this point? Multiple, multiple yeah. murders.
0: Well, what happened is we burned a lot of bridges with the district attorney's office. So we, at this point, with the amount of work that was put in, we go to the state and say to the state attorney general, this is what we got. Nobody wants to do anything with it. And I believe it was a she at the time, The, the an assistant there said, you know, we'd like to do this too, but we don't want to step on everybody's toes. I mean, this is what we're getting at. This. So we're like, you know, you got to be kidding. So then we say, Okay. Next step is let's go to the feds.
1: Hmm.
0: Let's go to the feds. We're trying to see if we have a federal nexus here. But what happened was, we look at it as when he was, they took when, he, when they took his DNA the first time around, and they did nothing with it, he fled the Dominican Republic. That, fled to the Dominican, that's why there was a break in some mm-hmm. of these cases for a couple of years, because then he came back so we, did he, we got,
1: did he commit any crimes
0: in the DR that we know of? I, I can almost guarantee you that, but they didn't even have a uh, a special – we'll call it a special victims division to do those kind of cases in the Dominican Republic. Wow. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I could only imagine what, what could have been going on down there. Wow. And, you know, of course, they, they, they're not going to – you know, they were not really willing to come up with um, some – information on certain things remember it's, it's much different time that we're dealing with and when you're dealing with other countries boy i said unfortunately i wish i had mark here to be able to fill in some of these blanks uh, but he had he this guy fought tooth and nail to get this thing done and so we go to the feds and the feds tell us listen great case but there's no federal nexus if he would have used a gun to do this we could have done something but because he only used a knife I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, because we we were going by this guy is in the country illegally, and yeah. he's committing murder. Let's is that the federal yeah, nexus? So, that's so crazy. No, unfortunately, the way the the way the statute was written this is how it was explained to me. The way the statute is written, if it is a firearm used by somebody who is here in the country and who shouldn't be, it becomes a federal nexus. But because it's a knife, it's not considered a federal nexus.
1: So if you're an illegal immigrant and you're stabbing people, there's no federal nexus.
0: Apparently not. They, maybe things are changed since <laughs> 2009.
1: This is but, how crazy this world is. OK. Yeah. But but this guy eventually does go to trial, right?
0: But what happened was, the, the, I think it was the feds, not the state, did help us out because they called the Bronx and said, listen, we want all the case files on this, which, you know, Joe, what happens next? Right. You know what happened? You know what happened next? So when the when the feds or the state, I can't remember which one it was, stepped in and said, all right, we want all the case files. Then everybody starts scrambling, mm-hmm. right? They were not happy about us, what we did. I mean, we burned a lot of bridges because we went over everybody's head. But unfortunately, in, in the end, that was the only way to get the Bronx to the table. And we figured there was two cases in the Bronx. The Bronx has got to lead this. What
1: happens when uh, they're not happy with you, Joe? Who do you get yelled at by?
0: Well, I don't care who they, you know, they're not my bosses. They could yell at me all day long. I could, I don't have to listen to them. But the yeah. problem is when you're trying to get cases closed and you're bringing them cases, yeah. they, you know, nope, nope. You know, they could turn into one of those things. Like, no, nope, yeah. I'm not, You know, I'm not bothering with you. Don't get out of here with that stuff. That's yeah, the bridges not- that we're worried about burning when you're doing this stuff. Oh, man. But the only thing you count on is is personnel turnover right you're hoping that you know some of the people that don't like you are no longer there anymore <laughs> but at that point we were all at our end of our careers anyway and yeah. you know so we looked at it as even the next group that comes along they won't really kind of hold that against them because we're all gone They might say yeah. you know those guys were a-holes you know yeah. so i'm we're, we're glad they're gone you know now we, maybe we can work with you guys but um uh, you know
1: this so is such a wild look because i don't think anyone outside of you know, law enforcement and, and like kind of the political aspect of this realizes this. You just think that cases are solved, but they're not. You know, yeah. uh, you have to go through all these other political loopholes and, and hurdles. But all right. So eventually you get someone's attention, I guess. Yeah. We got the,
0: we got the head of the, the Bronx District Attorney's Office attention. <laughs> and We got called to their office. What happened is they called up the chief of the detective's office first to, to like lodge their complaint because they had, if they would have called me up. And started yelling at me and be like, "Listen, I got two words for you, and then not happy birthday." Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, they went and tried to make trouble with us. So, you know, the chief of these uh, who who knew me pretty well, he's the one that put me in that spot. So, you know, he. oh God, I I had a nickname in the department. It was called I was called Black Cloud, right? Because <laughs> it. it I was the, one of one of the inspectors at the time. Had named me that years ago. And said if you were an American Indian, your name would have been Black Cloud because everywhere you go, this Black Cloud follows you around. And I, you know, like everything else, though, I I I went into this role as we got a job to do. We're going to get it done. And if I step on people's toes, so be it. I'm not here to protect other people's incompetence. And I used yeah. to say that all the time, which which ruffled a lot of feathers. But um, you good know, for I, you I, though. I got, you know, there was, we brought on a case and th- this was the same case, the district attorney who, after we played out all this DNA cases all these DNA cases, she says to us that she doesn't see the nexus and the connection of all these cases. And my response was Stevie Wonder could see the, the, the nexus in these cases. And boy, did that not go over well. I would say that went over like, that went over like a fart in church. So, um, I was never one to like hold my tongue. It was like kind of like uh, you know, one of those filters I just wasn't born with it.
1: Yeah, you and, and my, you and my mother, same thing. It, it
0: it served me well, but it also got me in trouble too. Mm-hmm. But at this point I'm a grown man. I what are you going to do? Put me in detention? I mean, I really don't care. Yeah. You know yeah, what? Good, yeah. good good for yeah, you. People man. don't like you. Oh, okay, really? That, oh, yeah. uh, you know what? Like how do you sleep at night with the fan on? Right? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Welcome to New York, everybody. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so this does eventually go to trial, right?
0: Yeah. It goes to trial and he got 25 years to life. So we were there for that, um, that sentencing. We didn't wow. go for the whole trial just because it was happening in the Bronx. Was, so it, it, when was it, he
1: sentenced in 2008
0: or something? Uh, I think it was 2014. Finally, 2014. It was all done. Yeah. So,
1: uh, where is he now? Do you know?
0: Yeah. He's in uh, one of the correctional facilities in upstate
1: New York. In upstate New York. And, uh, did you ever get a chance? I mean, I know you don't speak Spanish, but did you ever kind of confront him or say, "Hey, uh, your luck has run out"? Anything along those lines? Well,
0: Mark and Tony did the interrogations with him, and uh-huh. you know, Tony Tony did the interrogations with him because Tony spoke Spanish. Okay. And uh, and so, did
1: he ever confess?
0: No, he didn't confess, but the denials were were good enough because to say I don't know these women and still have and have his DNA and genetic material recovered on and inside the victims. It's a little difficult to explain how you don't know who this these people are.
1: Yeah. Um, So, I mean, on a a very serious note, you got a super dangerous uh, sexual assaulter, serial killer off the streets. Um, What kind of feeling is that for you when you guys accomplish something like that, despite
0: all the craziness you have to go through? Every case we ever close in, in the Bronx Cold Case Squad was satisfying, specifically when you're telling the victim's family. So when the news uh, was broken to the family members, remember, this was back in the day when everyone had cell phones. Or whatever, so you had it, you know, you did all this stuff in person. And we always for even even all you see, New York City actually does it really well in that respect of you know, all death notifications are done in person. None of this stuff over the phone, you know, unless the person lives, of course, in another state you know, then you're not going to drive to California to, to, to deliver the bad news. And then you have a local agency do it. But if anything happens, so we, we went to all the victims homes and uh, one of the husbands, the original one where I told you the story about we were sitting on the couch, he mm-hmm. was there for every trial. He was there for every day for the trial, all the way up to the end. Wow, uh, You felt really felt bad for this guy because he never got married again. he, He was, um, you know, this was, this was like the love of his life kind of thing. And, 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 um, you know, he had a small child that was left unharmed, but you know, he, he went through this whole, um, you know, scenario, lived through all this stuff, but I'll never forget him like hugging Mark and, you know, at, at the end when this was all over, because it was just, you could see the relief like on his face, like it's finally over and, and kind of part of the advocacy that I kind of brought over after I retired and try to help people, whatever I can. I mean, there's limitations per se, you know, to do things, but, you know, now that I've, I've kind of gotten into the media world and done, you know, a ton of uh, interviews, I got a chance to know, get to know a lot of people. And, you know, if I get family members that, that they call me with a specific case, I, I try to get in the media attention. And I think that's part of the, the big thing that really a lot of these cases need yeah. in regards to, uh, you know, doing this stuff.
1: And uh, 25 years to life, what does that really mean in New York and Florida? We're covering a case. They just got life. They always say life in Florida is life. But what is 25 years to life in uh, New York? It, it,
0: it doesn't mean anything. I think uh, New York City, New York State has let out. I think it's up to 53 cop killers now in the last couple of years. Jeez. Uh, and they just let out the other day. Uh, the Gemini twins who were a hitman for the Gambino crime family, who is responsible for at least 11 people's deaths. They let him out. He's 69 years old. So he's still pretty young enough to, you know, yeah, what's 69, going is only, on here? 69 is only 14 years older than me. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, and he, they let him out. And and I try to explain to people that, you know, there's no more deterrent factor in some of this stuff. And when you, you know, hear some of the heinous things that some of these people did and they're out walking the streets and, and where's the victims? They're never coming back. What about the families there? Those those people are gone forever and they don't have a second chance. Yeah, Yeah, this guy, this
1: guy you're talking about, his heart's broken forever. This is why I do like uh, in Florida, as they say, life is life. In other states, uh, definitely not the case. But what a wild story. Uh, This is why Joseph Jackalone is a hero in my eyes. He's a retired NYPD sergeant, uh, internationally recognized expert. He has extensive background, as you just heard, in criminal investigations, particularly uh, cold cases. He's trained investigators from all over the United States and the world. If you open the New York Post, you're going to see his name. He's always quoted uh, in many different uh, newspapers, including Newsday, the New York Post, People, Fox News, all these different uh, media outlets. And uh, he's the author of the Criminal Investigative Function, a guide for new investigators. He's literally uh, the teacher when it comes to this. And he's got true crime with the Sarge. Right, Joe? Yep. Yep
0: started up in August, and we went from zero to nearly 4,000. I, 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 as I just looked on before we got on, I think it was at 3993 So So, okay. um, you know, we'll see what happens. But I got a plan for this year, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun.
1: Check it's- out True Crime with the Sarge, and uh, we're always trying to support each other. And uh, we'll get Joe back on as a guest on Surviving the Survivor. This has been a special episode of surviving my biggest case Joe Jackalone getting a serial killer serial sexual assaulter off the street kudos to him till next time